When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Batter up. of their own this is episode 151 of a pot of their own i am allison mccaig and i am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts linda sarovich hello linda hey allison and maggie wiggin hello maggie hi allison it has been a while since we've had maggie on the show she took a short hiatus but she is back and Um, better than ever and better than ever so we have all three of us together for the first time in quite some time the full crew the whole crew the whole gang is here Forum, um, so we can vote on all procedural matters. Yes, yes. Uh, anything in uh, any procedural matters to to vote on, send them our way. You have a I short window. Mets win the World Series this year. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm putting um, that out. So uh, our first order of business before we get to more sort of recent Mets news um, is we we because we've had guests the past couple of podcasts, which were fantastic. Um, and we had a great time. We never actually really talked about the Carlos Correa saga <laughs> in depth. Um, I did and- not agree to come back knowing that I would have to <laughs> dig up my trauma again. I wasn't yeah. ready for it on an emotional level, but fine. But fine. Um, we have to. So, and I mean, it, it's, there has been like more kind of more developments on it since um, sort of the immediate aftermath happened. I did do like an amazing Avenue newswire with Brian, uh, and Lucas and Thomas, um, right after, uh, the deal officially fell through with the Mets and he signed with the twins. 
um, like our immediate reactions to it. Obviously, it's been a couple weeks since that happened. Um, but in that time, we did get like little nuggets of information. Um, we learned from interviews with Correa and Scott Boris uh, that the Mets used the same doctor <laughs> for Correa's physical that the Giants used. <laughs> So that was like a really special nugget of information that we learned. Um, and in the Boris interview, Scott Boris said, quote, I don't understand the Mets, <laughs> which I think it's let's say, though, like if the twins doctor was saying something all that much different, they probably still wouldn't have like cut, you know, 35 percent off of his price tag. Like, sure. It's not that it's not like there was no there there at all. Right. Right. But I it think- is odd that they wouldn't, especially because like things were getting kind of awkward, and dramatic for a while there. Um, it would have been nice to have used that time to find another doctor. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that the the Mets like didn't talk to any other doctors. They may have. And like, I think it even said in one of the articles that they did consult with other doctors, but they were all doctors who consulted with this one doctor who like, I, I, I know how doctors work. Like there are specialists in things. This is probably the ankle guy and probably one of the best ankle guys. And so everybody's going to talk to the ankle guy. I understand that, but it's kind of like, it kind of just hammers the point home of like, if you, if you were concerned about this, why'd you get involved in the first place, knowing that this was an issue? I don't think anybody disagrees that there is some issue, that there is an issue that may be a problem down the line. And that is the reason why his deal was ultimately for way less than what the Giants and Mets original offers were. But you knew this going in. Uh, so why did you get involved if you were going to be freaked out by the same exact doctor's report that the Giants were freaked out by is my question. God, I want to see that ankle. It's just got to be the gnarliest thing on the planet. I guess so. I don't know. Like, I, it's stuff growing out of it. It's frustrating (laughs) because, and and I guess this kind of trend, uh, sort of, um, uh, transitions to um, Elise, uh, our lovely artist friend, Elise sent us an email. Um, and I want to read the email because it articulates um, a lot of things that um, I kind of feel about this. Um, and so Elise says, hi, Allison, Maggie, and Linda. I hope you can address the Carlos Correa debacle in light of the Nightingale article, uh, articles, Boris quotes, uh, of which I read <laughs> one of them in part. I don't understand the Mets. After I read the article, I was quite angry. As a fan, I felt duped by Cohen. My thinking is that he in the front office discussed the cons of bringing in Correa specifically as it concerns money. I do not believe the ankle plate has had as much to do with it as Andy Martino and others emphasize. It was the money and the expectations that Mets fans would have going forward about how Cohen would spend in the future that influenced the decision. Often I've heard Mets podcasters say Mets fans can't have nice things. This is an example of that. You may say that I sound spoiled, but we do have the richest owner in baseball who's being compared to Steinbrenner. Cohen is no Steinbrenner, as Yankees fans have reminded us. Cohen's about face on Correa is not just embarrassing for the Mets fans and the organization. 
It's purely it's a purely business decision solely to save money, ignoring the fans desires, which were stirred up by an overeager fan in Cohen, who is overtaken by the real cynical businessman Cohen. Of course, no man is as rich uh, as Cohen. Of course, no man as rich as Cohen is going to admit he made a mistake. We know from the lawsuits he faces that he verbally demolishes those in his employ who make mistakes. We as fans should be wary of Uncle Steve in quotes going forward. It really is all about the Benjamins for him. We're just fortunate that. That he has way more of them than the Will Ponds. Uh, I mean, I think it's for... an. Oh, go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Maggie. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, I first say, like, I recently found out someone I knew, I know, has met Steve Cohen and is, finds him an absolutely terrifying human being, which um, is not surprising. And I think we should all remember that, like, not like he's the good one. They're all terrible. But, you know, part of what I, I don't totally buy is that um, that it's all about money, because if, if it was really about making money, then Steve Cohen wouldn't have bought the Mets anyway. He would have bought another index fund or whatever. I don't know what money is um, like it. It's not. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't seem to be operating it like a money making machine. I don't know. I mean, I, I just. It just doesn't seem like to to be the kind of guy who would be like, oh, no, now everybody thinks I'm going to spend a lot of money. Like, he doesn't care what we think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I don't. There, there's things in there's things in Elise's email that I agree with wholeheartedly. I think mm-hmm. the part where she says, like, for I don't think it's about money as much as she thinks it's about money. But when she says the 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 overeager fan Cohen was overtaken by the real cynical businessman Cohen. I cannot say if the cynical businessman is the quote real Cohen and the fan is not necessarily, but I do think that shift in mindset did occur. I think that he went into this uh, Correa thing in like a fan mindset, which is good because like it, that's one of the nice things about Cohen compared to previous owners and other owners in baseball is that he is actually a fan of the team, which differentiates him from some others. Um, I think he went into this kind of with a fan mindset. Like he said it himself, Correa takes us over the top and he was not wrong about that at the time. And I think that he went into this like really excited and like, Oh, we're pumped up. And then I am not sure if he sort of came around to like ultimately backing away on his own or if the front office got involved there. Like I don't have any insider information here. So this is my own speculation. Like, please do not, please do not put in the newspaper that I like said that Sandy Alderson, like screwed up the (laughs) Correa deal or whatever. But I think there is some reading between the lines that we can do here based on what Andy Martino was tweeting at in the immediate aftermath of all of this, when Mm -hmm. he was tweeting things like the front office was not consulted and all of this stuff. It heavily implies that Cohen acted on his own, independent of the front office, except for maybe Billy Epler, unclear. But like he was clearly the one himself closing this Correa deal. And then maybe some more cautious elements of the front office. And I can deduce on my own who those cautious elements are (laughs) may have influenced him in the other direction. But he's Steve Cohen. He can overrule those elements if he wants to, and he chose not to. Well, also, it seems, you know, from what we've seen of Cohen, too, is 
he's kind of impulsive. Like, you know, he had first with like the whole Stephen Matz thing and then he got mad and then immediately went out and signed Scherzer. Um, then this, he saw the Correa deal falling apart with the Giants. So he kind of bullied his way in and signed Correa. So he does act like an impulsive fan. And then I guess just thinks like, oh, it's fine. Everything will work out later because I have the money to just overrule everything. Um, so, yeah, I think it's his you have to be ruthless to get to where he is. And I think maybe that's what we also see as impulsiveness is also ruthlessness. Yeah. how he kind of wants to like bully all the other teams into getting and getting the Mets, all the good free agents. Um, and, but then baseball isn't run that way and it probably will never be run that way because of all the dollars for war people within the game right now. And so I think they're the one, their voices are the stronger ones now, not only in the organization, but around baseball. And I think he was probably talked out of it. Yeah. I mean, the Elise says that Cohen's no Steinbrenner, but the way he acted um, impulsively is very much a Steinbrenner mm-hmm. move, actually. Um, the whole like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and he was ultimately talked down from it, but like the owner kind of acting and like overruling the front office and acting independently of the front office is very much a Steinbrenner move for good or for bad. I think it, there it's certainly a double edged sword, I think, to have an owner that operates this way. It is much preferable to have this situation than to have the Wilpons or, you know, a, a guy that doesn't have as much money as Steve Cohen has as your owner, for sure. Um, but there are there are pitfalls of it, too, because it, it like these these guys are going to be meddlesome in their own way. Well, no, um, in his own words, he said, we need another bat. And so you go from Carlos Correa to Tommy Pham to Tommy Pham. Like, like you've had a good offseason, but now they're like, you can't help but like recency bias. You're I'm so holding out hope. There's got to be a trade or something. Cheapers. It cannot end with Tommy Pham. Tommy I, I think it is really going to end with Tommy Pham. I think so, too. I I, I mean, I, you never know. You never know. But I like I guess so. I guess that does kind of transition into the other bit one of the other bits of Mets news, which is that the Mets did sign Tommy Pham to a one year six, six million dollar deal to be the fourth outfielder. Um, obviously, you know, one of the issues and we, I talked about this and Thomas talked about this on the newswire when we, when we reacted immediately to the Correa situation is that what Linda just said, it, it's a huge letdown there. Like after Correa, there, there weren't a lot of meaningful ways to upgrade the team. Now, like you dangled this shiny carrot in front of us and now you've taken it away. And I can't like, forget that the carrot ever existed. Like if the Mets had never gotten gone in on Korea in the first place, I'd be happy as a clam right now. <laughs> and I'm still pretty happy. You know, the Mets are a very good baseball team. I'm very excited for, I don't want to seem like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just like complaining and like, and you know, being a huge downer because I think the 2023 Mets are going to be really good and really fun to watch, but it's just like, you can't like, I can't unknow that Carlos Correa was almost on the Mets. Like I can't yeah. just like erase that information from my mind. And Tommy Pham does 
feel like a no offense to Tommy Pham, but it does feel like a letdown in comparison. I think um, even Tommy Pham knows he's not Carlos Correa. I would hope right. so at least. And I mean, you know, like this was not this was not the replacement for Correa. Like if they had signed Correa, they might have still signed Tommy Pham. They needed a fourth outfielder, and that's what this is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the bi- the big issue here is, and this isn't this isn't the fault of the Mets. Um, is that even Tommy Pham was probably like their third or fourth choice for this role. Um, they yeah, that really- was part of the mystery is that there were other folks besides Tommy Pham hanging out there and the Mets didn't go for any of those guys. They went for they went- some of them. They went for Andrew McCutcheon. They went for Andrew McCutcheon very hard. Actually, they they tried to outbid mm. the the they offered more money than the Pirates did. But Andrew McCutcheon wanted to go home to Pittsburgh and, you know, hard to blame him there. And he's going to be a starting outfielder for the pirates. Whereas the Mets pirates not offer him that Um, or, or DH. I'm not sure exactly what his role is going to be, but he's going to get more at bats on the pirates than he would get on the Mets for certain. Um, And I think that the Mets had interest in uh, the likes of Adam Duvall, for example. They they were mentioned in connection with him. Uh, Now, I don't know. We don't know what um, what we know about the McCutcheon situation where it was publicly reported that the Mets offered McCutcheon more. We don't know if they actually made an offer to Duvall and if it was competitive with the Red Sox offer, the Red Sox who we signed with. Yeah. but what we do know is that, and we don't know what his motivation was, Duvall, in signing with the Red Sox. But what we do know, again, is that the Red Sox were going to be able to offer him more playing time than the Mets were ever going to. So I think a lot of these guys that they wanted for this role wanted more playing time than the Mets could offer. And so they ended up falling back on Tommy Pham. I mean, I'm kind of personally disappointed in this whole like crop of dudes that they were trying to get for like this fourth outfielder, maybe sometimes DH role. I, I wish they had gone harder on Trey Mancini, but um, I am uh, I am biased in that regard. And I understand <laughs> that Tommy Pham is a better fit in the sense that he can stand in the outfield as opposed to Trey Mancini probably like can't really do that at this stage of his career. It's more of a straight first base DH type, even though he has played outfield in his career even I thought Brian Anderson might have been interesting to go after yeah that would have been a that would have been a fun choice because he could have that he could have played outfield and base potentially um yeah but he ended up on the Brewers but yep that was a good signing by the Brewers it was yeah it it was a good signing by them um so we have Tommy Pham who you know on paper is like fine uh, but Just don't it is, start a fantasy league with him. Exactly. It is worth noting that he does not have the greatest clubhouse reputation in the world. He, according uh, to Man Martino, though, it's okay if you fight people as long as it's not your teammates. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Well, I couldn't tell if that tweet was a bit, and that's what <laughs> I feel like I've been in this world maybe too long yeah (laughs) i don't mean like alive i mean like this particular universe (laughs) it's very hard to tell when martino is trolling um so i don't know great sign and like baiting the fans which he often does um but like yeah he he for those of you uh for those uninitiated in uh tommy fam's antics fam ticks um (laughs) 
Now we'll, we know we'll just, what the recurring segment's going to be called in the season. We'll just fam call them fam ticks whenever something comes up with Tommy Fam. If something comes up, we'll call it fam ticks. Yes. Wait, we can vote on that. Yeah, yeah. That, All in favor? Aye. Aye. Yeah. Opposed? Motion passes. Motion passes. <laughs> fam ticks. Um, now <laughs> just thinking about the canine advantix commercial fantix and now my brain is a, a ball of soup so that's where i'm at um anyway but yeah the the famtix that we are familiar with is that uh tommy fam is the guy who slapped jock peterson over f- the fantasy football league last year notably um and it, and like he's said some like we're not talking about again I feel like I we I feel like I have always have to give context because on this show we talk about like really bad dudes he's not on that level as far as we know um but he has said some like kind of out there stuff we'll put it that way he said some kind of like wild stuff <laughs> he seems to be kind of a, a character I guess um and not a character everybody like not a great character <laughs> not the characters that everybody likes right like uh-uh. Josh Donaldson light. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. I'd call it Josh Donaldson lights a good way to describe it. Um, and he also get into a fight in a strip club. <sighs> yeah. I think he was. Yeah. I think that that did happen. Maybe I think he was stabbed. Yes. Maybe? Yes. Like, yeah. I think that might've happened. <laughs> I feel like that's not something your brain would just make up. No, no. Like, um, that was the thing I think happened. Um, but uh, so on. Good like, luck, Buck Showalter. <laughs> You're the man for the job. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, he uh, Buck Showalter has been known as a leader of uh, of, you know, troublesome players in the past. Um, so we'll see if Buck can like rein him in a little bit. Um, though he's a veteran player at this point. Like, I don't think he's really going to be reined in all that much. I don't know. Well, didn't they ban SNY because people were upset about like what Keith Hernandez was saying? Maybe Buck will ban like fantasy teams in the clubhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, that would, that would probably be a good idea. No, no, no fantasy football guys. Uh, at least not with each other. Like you can maybe do some of your, like do it with your buddies outside of baseball. And not with Jock Peterson. Not with Jock Peterson. Um, but yeah, so, uh, as far as the roster is concerned, this kind of leaves the position player side of things pretty much set though. There's kind of like, there's basically like one roster spot that's probably going to be like up for grabs slash competed for because the locked in guys on the bench now are Nito, um, who we'll get to more in a little bit, um, Giorme and fam, um, which sort of leaves w- one more bench spot up for grabs. Now that could be Darren Ruff, um, who's still on the team. Sorry, Lynn. It, we were it, so it, close. It, it's, it's possible, um, but it is possible that it could be one of either Francisco Alvarez or Brett Beatty as well. Um, all indicators point to, uh, and this is kind of related to the Nito question, but all indicators kind of point to Francisco Alvarez starting in AAA um, this season. Uh because in the aftermath of, I guess I'll get into the Nito thing right now. The Mets signed Tomas Nito to a two-year Yay. contract extension, which is good. 
Um, you know, it's it's fine. It's like it's not anything crazy. It's just basically one point six million dollars this season and two point one million dollars in twenty twenty four, which is essentially what he would make in arbitration. There's buying out his arbitration years, which is fine. Um, but it's to me what it said. It, what it says is more about Francisco Alvarez than about Tomas Nito. Uh, incidentally enough. Uh, like it's, it's interesting that the Mets behavior, we'll put it this way. The Mets behavior is not that of a team that thinks Francisco Alvarez is ready to be their starting catcher of the future. Um, in the way that they have signed, uh, Omar Narvaez to a one-year deal plus a player option or not a team option, a player option for 2024, and they've now locked in Nito for 2023 and 2024. So it's kind of like, well, if you really think Francisco Alvarez is like knocking down the door and ready to take this spot, you're not behaving like a team that thinks that. I don't but, know why, but it just. But seems that like also, it. I mean, that may have more to do with the catching than anything else. Yeah, and I think. It I does. mean, I think that's you know, I mean, it's they're in a tough spot in a lot of ways because like. Catchers are notoriously slow to develop. Catching skills are notoriously slow to develop. And, you know, I think they are in a tough spot in terms of like his bat is obviously much more advanced. Do you run with the bat, push the catching skills to the, you know, the catching side of things to the back burner? Like, but then you potentially miss out on a lot of development time behind the plate. I don't know. It's, it is, I, I can see why putting him in that position right away may not be appealing to them. Well, right. the other day, the SNY had an interview with Alvarez and he said his defense is improved enough and he thinks he's going to be on the roster opening day. So I don't know if that was just him confidently talking or if somebody hinted at him that he would be on the roster, but he sounded confident that, his name would be on the roster come opening day. Yeah, it's unclear. I mean, like, even if the Mets don't think that his catching skills are ready, I think that, you know, obviously there is a role for him to play as a part-time DH, potentially um, the other side of the Vogelbach platoon if if Darren Ruff does not get that job. Um, and Tommy Pham is also kind of partially filling that role too, but it would be like Tommy Pham is like also the fourth outfielder. So like it, it is possible that Francisco Alvarez can make the team as like a part-time DH and maybe he'll catch a little bit um, and sort of get mentored by Nito and Narvaez. Narvaez actually said um, in an interview that he's excited to mentor Alvarez, which was really cool to see. Um, something that, that like a quote that Alvarez gave a couple weeks ago that was basically like glossed over and like talked about for five minutes and then not spoken about again, but like actually concerns me deeply. And I wonder why we're not talking about it more is he said that the Mets want him to work on his English. He said that. And I was like, is that true? Because if the Mets said that to you, that's kind of messed up. Like holding you in AAA because they want your English to improve. Like well, for a catcher, I can kind of see it because he is communicating with the pitchers, but then you can always bring Lindor in to translate on the field. Right. It's very, it was very odd. He like said that. And then like, he never said it again and no one talked about it, but it, it was a quote he gave. 
<laughs> I saw it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if that's part of their motivation, then that's kind of odd. And maybe it is, but that'd be, that'd be, I mean, if that was their concern, then just like give them like an intensive two week course over the off season and he's done. Right, like, like, it's, I, I mean, a, yeah, a teacher. Like, I mean, ironically, I wonder if there was something kind of lost in translation there. Yeah. And, yeah. but like, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely, that would be, that would be very disappointing. Yeah, it would be. And like, I I don't know how much of like, work on your receiving, work on your skills as a catcher. Like maybe the Mets kind of threw the whole like communicating with the pitching staff in there as part of that. And I don't know if Alvarez took that to mean, oh, my English isn't good. Like it is possible that there was a miscommunication there. And I don't know. Um. But but the way Alvarez worded it was like they want me to work on my English. And again, I don't know if that's like if that's exactly what they said or, or what. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was something that was cited. Um, so, yeah, it's possible that Alvarez will get that final spot. Uh, Mar- the way Andy Martino report the Andy Martino's reporting after the Mets extended Tomas Nito was that it didn't seem like Alvarez. It seemed like the team's plan was to keep him in triple a, but I don't think that that is necessarily set in stone. That's just what Martino was reporting. And Um, the team has shown a willingness much more than like three or four years ago to roll with the best team out of spring training. Even if that does mean, you know, pushing forward with someone they weren't quite sure was ready or, you know, just, you know, buying into that a little bit, which is nice. I mean, I think it's good for Alvarez or anyone to go into spring training, like feeling that they can do this, that if that's, you know, if, if they show the stuff, then, you know, I don't really have much doubt that if he kills it in spring training, that he's going to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. So I think that this final spot (laughs) is sort of going to be an open competition between like Darren Ruff, Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. Um, and I, barring any other moves, obviously, if the Mets make another move, then that's different. But, um, as things stand right now, those are, that's kind of like the last position player spot left. And I think it's going to be one of those three guys. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I actually think that like, if I were a betting woman, which I'm not, (laughs) anyone that knows me knows I am risk averse. Um, but if I was a betting woman, I actually would put my money on Brett Beatty. If I were to make that call today, if I had to place a chip on one guy, I would put it on Brett Beatty, I think, to make the roster opening day. Well, I have a feeling they're going to try out Beatty in the outfield too. Yeah, they might. Um, they might do that. I mean, they were, they were, they were talking about doing that when they thought they were signing Carlos Correa to play third base. Um, I think that there's less of an impetus for them to do that now that third base is kind of like open, not open. I mean, Eduardo Escobar is the likely starting third baseman, but I think that that job is up for grabs now for Beatty. Um, if he wants to push Escobar into like a, a, a role sharing with him or like, a like, a like push Escobar into more of the part-time DH role because Beatty's playing so well. Um, but I think getting him some outfield reps could certainly couldn't hurt because it would allow him the flexibility. Um, but 
it it would it would be better i think for him developmentally to establish himself more defensively at his natural position which he has not yet done so no we'll see with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the only other bit of uh, Mets uh, news right now, things have kind of slowed down the off season as a whole, um, as far as free agency is concerned, because all the major free agents have pretty much signed. Um, but the but the arbitration, the deadline to agree to terms with arbitration players passed. The Mets agreed to terms with all of their arbitration uh, players, with the notable exception of Jeff McNeil. Um, I think there's like a $1.6 million difference between the Mets and Jeff McNeil at this point. Uh, so they're going to go to arbitration. Um, there was a lot of fuss made by like the random weird like Mets rumor accounts that are all like run by teenagers that because Jeff McNeil put on his Instagram story that he was at City Field. Um and so everybody and and like he attended the Rangers game as Linda probably knows with yes I did see him there <laughs> with uh with his agent and John Franco so everybody was like oh my god extension and I was like I don't think so guys I don't apparently you know <laughs> no, I saw one person point out he was there for like a little league like charity event or yeah something. he was he was a, he was there for a charity event like <laughs> come on guys <laughs> Ch- chill out say, like- I mean I'm not saying it's impossible but I, I I'm begging everyone on Twitter to chill. <laughs> I don't know that I would be champing at the bit to go to arbitration with the reigning battle ch- uh, batting champ. Like that oh, just yeah, seems to me like, lose. like that you could just save yourself an afternoon. Just like go ahead, like skip the paperwork and <laughs> give him a million dollars because he's the batting champ. Yeah. Just if it was me, that's what I would do. There, There's nothing more like, how do I word this? There's no more sort of like obvious. I mean, we talked about the I think we talked about this a while back when we were talking about like Steve Cohen spending and the Cohen tax and that and that quote that the random anonymous MLB executive gave that was like, oh, my God, he's violating the norms and like the other owners are not going to be happy with him about this. And it's like basically like my we're not colluding T-shirt. Has people asking a lot of questions about my shirt, but like there's no more obvious like demonstration of the system that's in place or like the gentleman's agreement among all the owners than the richest owner who has already demonstrated that he doesn't care about the Cohen tax going to arbitration with one of his best players over one million dollars. And it is like such a baseball thing. Like, this isn't even one of those things where you're like, God, the Mets at it again. Like, no, this is just, they all do they that. They all yeah. do this. Like, you would think if this was really about, again, about money, if this was actually just about money, the rich owners would not do this and the poor owners would do it more often. But that's not the case at all, actually. 
it's like every team does this randomly <laughs> sometimes like they just do this and it's because like that is the way the system is designed it's designed to like the team makes like a dollars per war calculation of what a player's worth and files and decides that that is what the player's salary is and then the player decides independently the player and his and his agent decide no <laughs> and i think in this case I mean, I don't actually know, like some, a lot of people know a lot more about arbitration than I do. And someone who knows more than me, uh, probably one of our listeners, to be perfectly honest, will point out like how often teams win versus how often the player wins. I don't actually know the proportions there, but I think in this case, the Mets are going to lose because as Maggie mentioned, Jeff McNeil just won the batting title. I think he has a pretty good case to get paid. <laughs> well, it's also strange because they just gave Pete like a record-breaking yeah, again, like it's not, I don't get it. <laughs> it's not about like the Mets being cheap. This isn't like the Mets specifically being cheap or like it, it. It's just this weird system. Every once in a while, this happens, and it's designed that way. Like it's it's a it's a system that is meant to suppress salaries, and it's weird. And like I don't know a better. Sol- I mean, the the better solution is to give teams fewer years of team control. Really, is the is the better solution, but that's not gonna happen probably and so like arbitration is better than guys continuing to make league minimum until they're free agents but i so i don't know like what what would we would replace it with but it is a weird like wage suppressing system that baseball has (laughs) and Um, takes advantage of yeah Yeah. and i and like i think the argument on the other side would be that in theory it is good for most players to have some sort of security early on in their career. So they have the opportunity to like put together some, you know, playing time and, and, you know, make a good name for themselves, all that before they hit free agency. And that if arbitration wasn't there, the teams would be more likely to just sort of move on from, from their players, but they're cheaper, they'll keep them. But at a certain point, like, we're talking about Jeff McNeil. Like, what would he <laughs> yeah. make on the free agent market right now? Like, yeah. he, I mean, granted, he had a down year not that long ago. But, you know, I think, um, I mean, it would probably make somewhat more than whatever yeah. the, like, $7 million yes. or whatever yes. it was. Absolutely. He would, make, he would make at least twice as much. Of average annual value. Yeah, I would say if, if it was just a one year deal, somebody would smartly give him like $30 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like right there. Right there. I it, Jeff McNeil is actually a really hard, like a strangely hard player to project what he would make on the on the free market. Like to, if he were a free agent this offseason, what would his deal look like? It is a weird it is a weird thought experiment to think about, because I think that he he's a player who's a little who who's come into his prime a little later in his career than a lot of other players and his skill set is and he he does he's done the splashy thing like won a batting title that doesn't necessarily like the these awards and things are often like give you like name recognition even when you might not like have the skill set that would make you a lot of money ordinarily but I would argue that McNeil on the same token is underrated as a player because his type of skills he doesn't hit a lot of home runs 
um, like he just like hits it where they ate and like his type of skill set is like really underrated. I think it will be, uh, he's going to be hurt by like, I think not hurt by, but like other players are going to be lifted up by the limits on the shift. And it's going to like even the playing field more because right now I think McNeil is one of the players like hurt least by the shift in all of baseball, like weirdly, because he just, his, his skills are all contact based and he doesn't, he hits it where they ain't. That is literally his skill. And I have no idea how teams evaluate that and how, like, whether they think it's like repeatable Well, and I think the thing is, I mean, the thing that probably makes it harder for him than anything else is that he had such a terrible 2021. Yeah. Because I just like, I was like, did he have another down year? And no, he has not ever had another down year. Like his lowest OPS plus, because baseball reference came up first, other than 21 was in 2020, it was 130. Oh my gosh. Like truly, I mean, he's, it's that one year. And I think, honestly, if you took that away and you had a player who with, you know, four straight seasons to start his career of 130 or more OPS plus, that player is going to get paid. But because it was recently enough and it was a terrible year, I could totally see that just kind of gumming things up. Um, But I mean, if he has another one like his norm, because all of these other seasons, like he doesn't have any other bad seasons. Um, if they, if he has another one like that, I mean, he should be, he should be knocking down his door and they probably will be. He has positional flexibility. You know, he's good on defense too. It's not fake positional flexibility. So what was it? Who was it? Um, Daniel Vogelbach, they had him listed as an infielder outfielder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm sorry. What field? (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I, I, McNeil is an interesting one, but I I think the consistency, except for that one is, is going to be what's going to eventually work out very strongly in his favor. And it'll work out strongly in his favor this time too, because he's going to win his arbitration case. Yes. And and like speaking of his defense, it's improved massively. It has, yes, in his career. Like, like last year, he was like a legit plus defender at second base, as opposed yeah. to like he's always been fine, cromulent at second base, but he's turned into like legit a really good second baseman. And I think that part of that, like, you always want to give as much credit to that uh, credit for that as possible to the player and and. Jeff works really hard. We all know he does. And he deserves all the credit in the world for working on his defense, presumably all the time. Um, But I think that there are other reasons why that's true. I think he has a very good double play partner in Francisco Lindor. uh, And a consistent double play partner. I mean, that's, I think that's part of it too, is just having the same up the middle pairing. They, they get comfortable with each other and it helps both of them. And I think the Mets, the Mets as a team have improved at positioning a, a great deal over the past couple of years in the new like Cohen era um, of analytics is starting to show through in the, the way that the Mets have done positioning. Like Brandon Nimmo is like a really good center fielder now. Um, and I think that's part of like positioning is a big part of that. And I think it's helped McNeil as well. So um, yeah, I mean, like on the open market, like, I don't know. He'd he'd be like, he would get like, he's, he's a little too old to get like the Brandon Nimmo deal, for example, but like shave a couple years off the 
Brandon Nimmo deal and like do an option instead. And like, that's what Jeff McNeil would get. I think. I feel like Chris Bryan could probably be a good comp to him because he also played like the infield and outfield and McNeil's fine in the outfield too. Yeah. He's not a detriment out there. No, not at all. He's very solid in a corner, very solid corner outfielder. So I get like, you know, Brian probably has a little more home run skills than like. Yeah, he's a better hitter, but like, like, but just because. But not by as big a margin as I think most people would think off the top of their heads. Yeah. Like he is like Brian, you know, a step above, but in the grand scheme, like it's, they're close. Yeah. Yeah. But Chris Bryant's only 31. And right now and yeah. hit free agency when he was what 28 he's a lot more injury prone though too yeah. jeff mcneil's been pretty injury prone in his career but not lately um yeah, yeah. No, i feel didn't he have like a shoulder issue or a hamstring issue in 2021 too yeah that does sound like- and that might have contributed to his struggle. And I mean, Jeff McNeil is actually younger than Chris Bryant, but the, but like he's going to hit free agency much la- later than Chris Bryant. And he did get a late start to his career. You know, he he came yes. up when he was 26. Um, not the 26-year-olds are old. <laughs> or no. <laughs> but like, you know, that's he's just a little bit later than a lot of players of a similar caliber. Um, so, <laughs> uh, we'll we kick probably off- should mention the hall of fame voting too, since the Mets did not get in. Yeah, I guess I, I like caring so much less and less about hall of fame every year, which is I know. sad, but it's just like, I feel like I like know too much about all of this and it makes me enjoy it less, which is kind of sad. Well, because I feel like, because there's this, this game that gets played with the voting a lot or yes. like where we all know who's going to make it in probably there's some borderlines, but like, and it's just, well, I'm not going to vote for that guy until I've had three years complaining about this and then I'll vote for it. I mean, it's so, but we end up with these long stretches of time before any one person gets elected where like year after year, you're like, is Scott Rowland going to get in? Is Billy Wagner going to get in? Like, and you know, by the time one of those actually does happen, and congratulations, Scott Rowland, very well deserved. Yes. I'm just so tired of it. Like, yeah. I, th- I thought he got elected like three years ago. Like, come <laughs> on, man. I uh, cannot maintain this line of thought for that long. Yeah. So the, the Hall of Fame voting news is that Scott Rowland is the only guy uh, on the current ballot who, who got in, who got the requisite 75% of votes to get in. He got 76.3% of the vote. Um, Billy Wagner. Uh, was one among those who like kind of, not just missed, but below the threshold by a little bit at 68%. Um, but, you know, may, may get in event, like in the realm of might get in eventually. Um, and then uh, <laughs> notably, notably for the podcast, sadly, player uh, among the players receiving less than five percent is ra dickey (laughs) zero uh, he got one vote though i want to know if you are the person who voted for ra dickey i would like to buy you a beer yeah (laughs) whoever you are out there i would like to buy you a beer whoever you are make yourself known there should be more like as long as voting is a game which it is and not actually about like 
these are the individuals that I believe should be in the Hall of Fame because we know that that's not actually how people are voting. Even like, you know, people we like still, there's a certain amount of like self-expression via vote, but there should be more R.A. Dickey votes. Not enough that like we need to keep this guy on the ballot for very long, but I would love to see more voters have fun with it because they're playing games, but when they play games, they tend to be angry games. And like, yeah. no, play the fun games where you vote for R.A. Dickey because yeah. he's a mensch. Like, do because that. Because you can. Bronson <laughs> Arroyo, because he's funny as heck. Like, come on, man. There's, yeah, you know. some fun. Yeah. Just Jason Worth, because you've got a weird thing for beards. Just just <laughs> hit me up. Sorry, I'm actually looking at the ballot right now. Which is <laughs> but like, I don't know. I feel like if I had a ballot, I would have voted for R.A. Dickey. Not because I think he's a Hall of Famer, but because voting for the hall of fame is a good is a game and because he's a good dude jj hardy because i always loved the way that the orioles pa announcer said j j hardy (laughs) that's a that's a legitimate reason to vote that is a legitimate reason 10 Um, times more valuable to baseball and its discourse than even a single blank ballot yeah yes well, and then because then or, you get all or these... spending like uh like you know three thousand words explaining your vote for Omar Vizquel. I was like, just gonna say that you get all these sad comms like this was such a hard process for me, and it's like you're now you're making it about yourself instead of a very real victim at the hands of Omar. It's Vizquel. literally like why I joined the Athletic, except it's like why I voted for Omar Vizquel, and I'm just like I grow tired. I I, I am tired. Yeah. Of this. <laughs> I am weary. I would rather just vote for R.A. Dickey. <laughs> A little heads up, David Wright is on the ballot next year. Jesus Ooh, Christ. I, oh. one, I am old. Two, that's going to start some discourse. Yeah, I'm not ready. He's not, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame. No, it breaks my heart. But he didn't play long enough. But I just, he, I want he's not going to drop a... off the ballot. He'll get multiple yeah, ballots. I want him to have but... a good few years there where... We all get to think about him and look at his name on the ballot. And I hope that it's at least a few years before he drops off. the. I don't think he'll drop off. I don't think he'll drop off. I think he'll always get enough to not drop off. I hope I find the perfect moment to make a joke about him having trouble deciding what hat he would wear. (laughs) Because that just feels like I could do something with that. Okay, put a pin in that. Okay, subconscious. (laughs) Remember that in three years. We're on it. (laughs) um i also figured uh during our baseball segment this week um given the fact that we did uh talk a little bit about um about uh the correa post-mortem and oh no what's the point of having the richest owner in baseball if 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 we can't have carlos correa um just a perspective it could always be worse folks we'll take a drive around the majors and show you how much worse it could be (laughs) oh boy Um, I've got three stories, which is actually now kind of four, although like wh- the, the third one is kind of a three A and three B. So we'll call it three stories, three stories about owners in a segment I'm going to call. I took the form of a 45 year old white man for a reason. I can only fail up. <laughs> <laughs> so num- story number one, uh, Phil Castellini. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, y'all remember Phil Castellini, right? Uh, he's the, uh, where are you gonna go? 
guy, the uh, the fail son of Red's owner, Bob Castellini. And why Red's- do they keep trying this dude out here? I mean, really? Yeah. Why is he allowed to speak to anyone? That's <laughs> my question. Because he like Phil Castellini is. So there's kind of like a, there's like kind of two categories of like bad, cheap owner. Right. There's like the Stefan Rakes kind. And that's Phil Castellini. And then there's the like actually like malevolent kind, because I think that Phil Castellini is just kind of a dunce and like not like he's not trying to be like evil, but he's just like, he's just like, oh, what are we going to do? We're the Reds. And you're like, oh, my God. Um, He said the quiet part out loud again. Um yeah, and, and we'll get into the the more evil kind because I think that the John Angelos comments are like way more sinister than Phil Castellini's in a lot of ways. But Phil Castellini is more fun to make fun of. So we'll start there. Um, he He's the guy who said, where are you going to go? Uh, basically mocking the fans when people were talking about how upset they were about how the Reds were being run. And he's like, and, and like, you should sell the team. And he's like, sell it to who? Where are you guys going to go? Which just brings to mind, of course, the meme where it's the, what are you going to do? Stab me. And yeah. it's the quote from the guy who has just been stabbed. <laughs> the guy who has just been stabbed. Yes. It, it, he, yeah. What so are you going to do? Guy. Not root for my baseball team anymore? Oh, no. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, so I regret to inform you all that that guy is at it again. Um, in a presentation to a booster group, which is called Rosy Reds, which I think are like their origins is are like the people who advocated for like keeping the Reds in Cincinnati when there was a chance that they might leave Cincinnati. Um, but it's basically turned into like a booster club for the team. It's like, you know, fun, uh, like people who give lots of money to the Reds. Um, he he was uh, he gave a presentation to uh, to that booster group um, and. Uh, in that presentation, he showed a slide titled Teams Out of Contention by Opening Day. Um, and guess who was on there? The Cincinnati Reds. Oh, um, <laughs> which, Oops. I mean, like, number one, that's just, like, cravenly cynical. <laughs> You're really saying that you have no chance on opening day. You don't believe in your own team, which, like, I get it. I get the sentiment of that. But. He also showed like, I think it was like, I can't remember the exact chart. I saw it, but it was like a third of teams that he showed. And I really think that he's like overestimating how many teams are truly out of it on opening day. Like statistically, it's not actually true that there's that many teams that are out of it on opening day. The Reds are. Yeah, maybe the the Reds are. They are one of those teams. But yeah, so that was like the first part of it. And then he proved that slideshow though. Yeah, I don't. Who thought that was a good idea? He did. <laughs> um, and then the and then he like basically bemoaned the Reds operating like quote a nonprofit organization. Which <laughs> l- let me tell you, I am sure the Cincinnati Reds make a profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, but the worst part of it is that he like went on to talk about like some of the great prospects that the Reds have, and he was like, "Of course, we're going to lose them." these are guys that have not even played in the major leagues yet. And he's already talking about how like, they're not going to retain those. Like way to get the team excited for the new season. Oh my God. It's just like, so, Oh God. Nonprofit organization. That's like so special. Uh, Anyway. So that's story. Number one. 
Story number two, which I think is the more like, like Phil Castellini is the more stepping on rakes type. I think John Angelos is the more like malevolent type of cheap owner at this point. Um, John Angelos, for those of you who are, don't know, he is the Orioles chairman and fail son of owner Peter Angelos. The two There's Angelos brothers. Here. What? There's a theme here with fail yes. sons. Fail sons. The two the two Angelos brothers are are currently fighting over control of the Orioles. Um, they are like suing each other back and forth over control of the Orioles. Um, but John Angelos, who's who's I think been the one who's been like more or less like operating, like like being the owner right now. Um, he did a charity event at Camden Yards on Martin Luther King Day. Um, and a reporter tried to ask him about the future of the Orioles. And Angelos used Martin Luther King to shield himself and scold the reporter being like, he he clutched his pearls and was like, on this day of all days, you want to ask me about the Orioles? Sir, how dare you? It's Martin Luther King Day. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me? Like, I, it's one thing if I would, if I believed that was like genuine, but I do not. No, oh, absolutely like, not. Like, and like he went on to um, say that the reporters could come back, quote, next week and he'd show them everything, all the Orioles books, all the financials. You can come back any other day other than this sacred day and I will show you everything. Oh, please. It's yeah, next okay. week. Has he has he shown anyone anything? No. no. And he's, he's just, just in the middle of getting a few things reorganized and he'll absolutely have them for you later this week. Next week at the latest. It's yeah, a like top priority. Things. Where's this warehouse event? I, I want to know. I'll come. I'll drive up to Baltimore and see the Orioles books. Let me know. I'll be there. It's not that <laughs> far of a drive for me. Instead, like literally today, I'm trying to find it because it happened like it, the news broke literally earlier today. Oh, yeah. Here it is. The latest on the Angelos family legal drama Louis Angelos, who's the other brother, claims John and Georgia Angelos, Georgia, Georgia being the matriarch, quote, systematically drained a bank account that belonged to Peter Angelos that previously held more than 65 million. So there's just more like all that dropped today was more news about the lawsuits and counter lawsuits. So if that's what you mean by the Orioles books, then sure. <laughs> well, but yeah, so that's that's that. Um, he did say the Orioles are not leaving Baltimore, though, rest assured. Um, That's something, I guess. Yeah. Um, but speaking of not not selling or not leaving the city. Finally, story number three, which kind of has two parts now. Uh, part number one, we learned that Art Moreno is not selling the Angels after all. <laughs> Sorry, Angels fans. Womp womp. Shohei Otani, you are a New York Met. Yeah, <laughs> I think it does. I, like seriously, I think it does increase the chances a little bit. But I think so too. Doesn't hurt. Ends up a New York Met. We shall see. Like, um, why would he want to stay when he's seen how he runs the team? Like, there's no hope there. No, no. And he'll even pony up the dough for Otani. And it seems like. Moreno like seriously just got cold feet about the whole thing because it was basically like 
the story of the angels is that they had Moreno and, and co uh, had like launched, like basically an exploratory campaign into selling the team, right? Like we are going to like put feelers out there about selling the team. And it's not that it seems as if based on his quotes today, it's not as if they, they did not have interest it's one thing when you try to sell the team and no one wants to buy it. That's what's happening with the Nationals right now. <laughs> um, it's one thing when you try to sell the team and no one wants to buy it. That's what's happening with the Nationals and why the the Nationals owners are trying to seek like minority owners instead of like selling the team outright. Not, um, as, as opposed to majority owners, yes. just to clarify. Yes, honestly. not as opposed to, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, as in less a mustachio than- gentleman named Shmeev Shmoen is interested <laughs> in purchasing the Nationals, but he doesn't seem too interested in upgrading the team. Strange, right? <laughs> as in, like people that have less than fifty percent stake in the team, um, owners. But in Moreno's case, it seems as if they had interest, and he had just had a change of heart, got cold feet, backed out, like the Mets and Carlos Correa style. <laughs> like he was just like, oh, never mind. I don't want to actually. I don't want to. So they're not doing it. Uh and this not the same thing, but uh a similar, I guess in the same realm of like we're who says we're selling the team, we're not selling the team. Uh the Marlins owner gave a very similar quote. Uh well there was a rumor that the that there was exploration into selling the Marlins and the Marlins owner quickly uh, put the kibosh on that immediately and was like, I am never selling the Marlins. And it's like, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. I just feel bad for like, cause we got out of that bad relationship. I just feel bad yep. for other teams. I have no hope. Yep. At least when the Will Ponds sold the Mets, they really, they really meant it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank they you, were. Tiki Barber. Can you that. guys imagine if the Mets did the, if if the Wilpons did this? <laughs> if they Twitter like, would have burned down long before today. Or if they're gonna, if they were like, we're gonna sell the Mets, and then they were like, just kidding, we're not gonna sell the Mets. Oh lordy. Oh, I think yeah, I think that like Mets Twitter, City Field, everything would have burned to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Just everything raised to the ground, then just ashes. Like even the ashes would have been thrown into the into the harbor. Like that would have been a like we would not have like a a level of raising we have not seen since Sherman <laughs> level. <laughs> like that would have been bad. Yeah, but alas, I mean, we are. So, so again, part of the point of this is to point out like wider trends and problems in baseball of like these, these ownership groups that are craven and terrible. Um, but the other part is to reassure Mets fans that, you know, as frustrating as the Correa situation was, it could be worse. (laughs) And we know that we know that could be a lot worse. Um, so one more unfortunate bit of baseball news that we do have to cover, um, that just, that just broke today, uh, before we recorded, we are recording this on Tuesday night, the 24th, um, Mike Clevenger, 
recently signed by the Chicago White Sox, is under investigation by Major League Baseball for allegations of domestic violence by the mother of his 10-month-old daughter, um, who accuses Clevenger of physical, verbal, and emotional abuse of both her and her child. So he is under investigation for domestic violence and for child abuse. Um, I will not go into detail about the things he's accused of doing because they are really disgusting. You can go read them for yourself if you want to, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really messed up. And like what, like running out of new things to say, there's another day, another fucking shithead. (laughs) Well, it also spoke volumes about the company he kept too. Yes. So, I mean, you don't, it, it wasn't a shock. When Noted was, Trevor Bauer associate yeah. Mike Clevenger. Yeah, like you birds of a feather. Yep, that's exactly it. Birds of a feather. And and his friendship with Trevor Bauer was not the only red flag here. Um, there have been red flags about him for a long time. Um, stuff that his he has he has multiple exes who have called him out for bad behavior. Um, and they have posted. On in on like their Instagrams or their like social media accounts about his behavior, but this is just the first time that anyone's taken it to Major League Baseball. Um, so like he's been suspect for a while. We'll put it that way. Um, Wasn't he one of the ones that also like flaunted the vaccine or like the mask mandates too? Yes, I don't recall if he... I remember Lindor got into it with him. Yes, he got in trouble for like, I don't recall like whether he was like vaccinated or unvaccinated or like what his actual stance on the vaccine was. But I do remember that he got in trouble for like violating the COVID protocols. Like he went out when he wasn't supposed to. Yes, that was like in 2020 when like things were like really locked down. He like went out with a teammate. It was him and uh, and a relief pitcher whose name I can't remember at the moment. They like went out and broke protocol and got and got disciplined for it. So that was a thing. But yeah, he's he's kind of has like multiple strikes against him before this for being just like kind of a known asshole. Um, but now, like this is like really really heinous behavior um, that he might be suspended for. The White Sox notably claim that they did not know about this when they signed him, which I find strange. I am not accusing the White Sox of lying about this, of lying about not knowing. Um, I just find it strange that um, the victim had been talking to Major League Baseball about this since the summer. And it's now winter and the White Sox knew nothing about it. I mean, I know that the CBA, I, I like said it's kind of strange. And then someone pointed out, Heather pointed out to me on Twitter, Heather uh, is an Orioles fan. She pointed out to me on Twitter that like this probably has to do with the collective bargaining agreement. Why? I know that the, that, that this played out with, with Bauer too, that they couldn't share the details of the investigation with the Dodgers. Um, and that's probably true in this case as well, that they couldn't share with the team the details of the investigation because of the collective bargaining agreement probably has like a clause in it that says that you can't. And I understand from a player's union perspective, why you would want that because like you wouldn't want any unresolved investigation to impact whether a player gets signed or his salary. But like, I don't know. 
you'd think a team would want to know if they were potentially employing like a terrible human being. And apparently, like we said, a lot of this was on social media. So if they had done any research before. Exactly. Like background check. On your own. Well, also, like if they had been working on it since the summer, then maybe that is part of the problem with investigations taking six months, you know, in terms of like, well, maybe, maybe they should do that a little faster. And I don't want to, I'm not saying that you should rush it, but I have a feeling if we actually go in and look at the timeline of the effort that they have put into investigating these claims, um, it would not be particularly impressive. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's just so please investigate the claims before they get gazillions of dollars for people who are garbage and shouldn't be on anyone's uh, baseball team. Well, now the I guess the the question is, do they have the balls to release them? I mean, Mike uh, Clevenger, they... come on! I mean, they, yeah. I'm sure they won't, but no. like, come on, this is. I mean, again, it shouldn't even like. There shouldn't even be the implication that maybe talent level would have something to do with it. Sadly, it does, though. Yeah, it does, but it also, but not enough. I mean, because I feel like, <laughs> okay, if it comes down to talent, then why isn't a guy like Clevenger just being cut? Like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Oh. Sadly, the the couple of the few the the few White Sox fans I follow on on Twitter uh, don't seem optimistic. Yeah. about their team cutting ties with him. I'll put it that way. Um, and I don't blame them because the White Sox are not run very well. And as as Janice, uh, our our White Sox friend, pointed out, Tony Larusa set the precedent here. Yeah, if this is the team that is willing to that was willing to employ him as as their manager. Um, and continue to employ him as their manager for a while. Yes, for a while. So, um, well, and, and you know, if it wasn't for his failing health, would still be employing him as their manager now. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they fired him. <laughs> he's not their manager anymore because he's he's not doing well physically. And Restore for whatever his name is just seems like an asshole himself. Yeah. So he's never going to do the right thing. Yeah. I just, I, I do not have faith that the White Sox are going to do the right thing, unfortunately. Um, one, like, speaking of doing the right thing, one silver lining is that as of this recording, Trevor Bauer remains unsigned. There's no wood in this room I can knock on. Come on, man. Ugh. <laughs> My desk is wood. Um, and there haven't so, even been any rumors. Not so really, keep no. him out of my sport. Yeah. yeah. Just forever. Like, you're done, man. You're done. And like with Clevenger, if if MLB investigates and finds that these accusations are credible and suspends him, which because if the if these accusations are true which I have no reason to believe they're not based on his past history and the fact that women rarely lie about this. This is also a somewhat unprecedented situation under the uh, domestic violence policy because this this is also abuse of a child. Yeah. Um, a I mean, baby. 
Yeah. The only, the only other person who has, who has, as far as I know, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but the only player that I know of that has had any sort of like suspension or like discipline under this policy of stuff involving a child was Felipe Vasquez who went to jail and is out of baseball forever. Um, that's it's, it's different because th- that, that was sexual abuse. This is not sexual abuse, but this is still abuse of a child. And that is a different level than all of these other players that have been suspended under this policy, even Trevor Bauer. So I think that if if MLB investigates finds these accusations to be credible, there will be, I don't know, like some unprecedented level of discipline here. I think, I hope. <laughs> because I think, Lord, like a lot of this country hates women. And I think we've seen time and time again that baseball doesn't often do right by women. But I think, almost everyone agrees on children yeah and that that crosses a line even for the worst people who believe that men should be able to do whatever they want to their female intimate partners or their intimate partners period i i like to hope that people agree that children abusing a baby crosses a line here of some kind like if you if you have any line at all it has to be that right yeah babies should be straightforward yeah that should be universally condemned i would think and i mean and i'm cautiously optimistic i i mean i think that that something will happen in this case i i think that is a line that is real for most people i think a lot of times you know i worry about what his former partner will, what, what blame she will bear. Cause there's always going to be lots of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, you know, I, I hate to say it, but we are going to have ample opportunity to discuss this case. I do believe. Um, but that I am cautiously optimistic that this will, will, you know, not go well for Clevenger. Yeah. Although I see one White Sox person just tweeted a lot of other women's have come forward about Clevenger on Instagram. This is getting more gross by the second. Yeah, like he is. He he, like we're starting to reach like Bauer levels of trash here. Like he is he is trash, like capital T trash. Like this is not a one off incident sort of thing. He's a serial serial, offender. He's a serial abuser. And it Um, seems like he also went after a lot of like young. Yeah, there's 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 uh pretty big differences, the age differences between him and yeah. Not illegal age differences, mind you. I mean, uh but but big age differences, which is often, you know. When, when you have these other red flags of, like, bad power dynamics, like, that is just one of many red flags then that come into light. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a really, really bad situation. Like, this is not a one-off incident. This is a pattern of behavior, it seems. Um, and, yeah, we're, this is this is going to this is going to go on for a while now, whether he will 
respond in a Trevor Bauer like fashion and like counter sue everyone remains to be seen. Um, but I think we will, uh, we will be hearing about this for a while. Um, before we, uh, before we move on to walk off wins, I did want to at least end this baseball segment on a happy note, which there is a happy note to discuss. Um, we have the first female manager at high a, um, in minor league baseball. Um, I'm going to mispronounce her name and I feel really bad about it because her last name is difficult to pronounce and I should have looked it up beforehand and I apologize. Um, but her first name is Ronnie and her last name is Gajownik. That's, uh, that's what I'll go with. And I'm very sorry. Yeah, sounds good. If that's wrong. Um, I will, if I find, if I find like a correct pronunciation somewhere and it's different than what I just said, I will, I will correct myself on a future show. I'm very sorry. Or tweet Um, us like, all in favor of, of thoughtful us. corrections. Yes, yes, please, please. Thoughtful if you know, corrections. If you know Ronnie or are Ronnie or know someone who knows her and knows how to pronounce her last name, you can please tweet at me, tweet at us and tell me. Um, I will pronounce it properly on the podcast. But uh, she becomes the first female manager um, at High A, which is awesome. Um, she's the manager of the Hillsborough Hops. So we love to see that more and more and more women uniformed coaching staff um we love to see it so that's great um but we we wish her a lot of success on the upcoming season yes yes go go hillsborough hops suddenly a hillsborough hops fan big hillsborough hops fan (laughs) (laughs) um but uh we will end the show this week like we always do with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week baseball related or otherwise maggie wiggin what is your walk-off win for this week your inaugural uh break from hiatus walk-off win i mean it's just this it's just that i got here um and you know and i think um i also have to give like a shout out i don't know if she's she may be listening she's on her tablet um in her bed under some covers um to my daughter who really wanted this for me like act like wanted this for me like independent of me wanting it for me like you know and and you know so we so we made it work and you know and I came to everybody and I was like can we make this work and they were like yeah we can make this work so you know I guess it's thank you to the the my walk-off win is the wonderful women in my life on this show or in her bunk bed across, you know, the, across the room from me, like for, for wanting me to be here and wanting me to be a part of this. Um, so thank you guys. We are so happy that you are here. Yeah. Me too. And hi Ellie. Yes. Ellie's always welcome too. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Y'all will probably get to hear her at some point or another because like <laughs> I don't think they are all gonna go as smoothly as tonight went. Yes. <laughs> but we we love we love having Ellie. Always love having her. Um Linda Surovich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Ugh. It's been a week. Um, <laughs> so I don't really um well I got my copy of Spare in. There you go. And I've been That's reading. Something. Yeah, it, it 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 had a lot of holds on it, so I kind of yeah, used my librarian privilege. And when our copy came in, I checked it out to myself. There you go. Um, so I've been home the past two days dealing with other stuff I would rather not be dealing with. But you know, in my downtime, I've been able to read all about the the royal drama, which is a nice escape. So, and you know. 
I'm, I'm, I've, I've always liked Harry and he seems to be a lot like his mom because I always liked Diana as a kid too. So, um, so yeah, just reading a good book and escaping from my own personal drama and reading about uh, royal drama has been, uh, has been fun. So it's, it is a good book. I, I will say it is good. It's worth all the hype that's around it right now. So if you are looking for a biography, I do recommend it. And if, especially if you like people spilling the tea. <laughs> there is, there's no better walk-off win than a good book. Let's be real. It makes that's me true. mundane, that's but true. it's, 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 uh, there's nothing like a good book. I like, I had said like that 2022 was, cause 2022 was like a crappy year for me in a lot of ways. Um, but like one of the ways in which I, like one of the things I regret is that I didn't, I didn't read a whole lot in 2022. I read some, but like, you know, not at my usual clip, um, because I was like dealing with so much other crap in my life. And like, I wish that I had escaped to books more. Um, and 2023 has already like instantly been a better reading year for me in the sense that like, I'm already reading my fourth, fifth book of 2023. And like, all the books I've read already have been like bangers. Like it was like three bangers in a row that I loved right away, which you don't get that all the time. Like sometimes you go through a rut of reading where you read like a few books in a row. Like you don't necessarily hate them, but you're like, Oh, I wasn't like, I wasn't into that. And every single book I've read so far this year has been like, I've been so into it. And I don't know if it's like just that the books were really good or that my mentality was better. I think it's probably a combination of both. So I purposely waited because I knew Spare was coming out. So I didn't want to be like in the middle of a book. So I'm like behind on my reading because I've waited so long for this one. So I can catch up. I got to catch up. (laughs) (laughs) I accepted my goal for 50 books this year. I'm already way behind. (laughs) I'm at 30 and I'm ahead, but I'm like, I'm purposefully like I'm logging. Like I figure like my strategy this year is I'm going to log a lot during not baseball season. Like, I'm going to log, I'm going to get ahead on my reading so that when I inevitably slow my pace, when I'm spending, you know, three hours every evening watching a Mets game, I won't fall behind. Instead, I'll just like fall back to pace. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's my goal, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, so my walk-off win for this week is actually baseball related. Um, it is that I have, uh, Michael and I have booked our flight and our hotel for San Diego. Um, and so like our new, uh, annual, uh, summer tradition is that we're going to take a baseball trip every summer. Last summer it was Chicago and this summer it's San Diego. So we are going to see the Mets, uh, play at Petco park against the Padres. Very excited, um, to check Petco park off the list. Everyone that's been to Petco park says it's awesome. Um, so I'm really excited. I've been to San Diego before for work. But I've like, you know, I haven't really gotten to do touristy things there. I've only been there for work, like for conferences. So basically I've seen the conference center. I've seen the outside of Petco Park because it's like right by the conference center. But I've never been in it um, and I've never like done. I've never gone to San Diego for fun and like gotten to do touristy things. So I'm really excited to actually explore the city um, rather than just like stay at a hotel next to the conference center and go to the conference center. (laughs) So. Um, yeah, so that's my walk-off one for this week. Very excited to, to, to go to San Diego and see the Mets and see Petco Park. It's going to be really fun. 
Um, so that does it for the show this week. Um, you can go to amazingavenue.com, check out all of our fantastic content. It is prospect list season. Uh, so our wonderful folks um, on the miners team have dropped uh, their top 25 Mets prospects or in the process of dropping that. Uh, dropping about an article or two a day, I feel like at this rate. Um, so you can check all of that out, check out their analysis of the of the Mets top prospects um, over at amazingavenue.com along with all of our other daily news posts and other content. Um, obviously, if any uh, other major Mets happenings occur, we will be covering it. You can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at a pod of their own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Serafish. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, your favorite podcast app of choice. Please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro to this music is by Bunga. Let's go Mets and don't forget there's no crying in